the Kings light the beam against the Nets. They light the beam over March Madness at Golden 1. I had a basketball-filled day as I went watched two March Madness games, then came home immediately, started watching the Kings game, then shot some hoops, then watched some more uh, NCAA basketball, and now I'm here talking about the Kings game. But I was able to see that uh, the Princeton versus Arizona game, the Princeton upset, and that was very, very exciting to see in person. But I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about Kings versus Nets. The Kings are able to pull out the victory 101-96 on the second half of a back-to-back. And I thought this was a very impressive win. And the reason I say that, the Nets aren't a great team, but they aren't a bad team. And I thought you could tell that the Kings legs weren't there. I mean, you could see it from the way they were shooting. They shot pretty poorly in this game overall and from uh, the three-point arc. And Keegan Murray, he hit three for six. Trey Laws was two for three. Kessler Edwards, two for three. Everyone else, not great percentages from three. And it was, they, they took a lot of threes, especially in the first quarter. They took a ton of threes. I think it was something like 14 in that first quarter, which I think is just a sign of a tired team. But they were actually able to rely on their defense in this game. Now, this Nets team isn't a great offensive team the way it's currently constructed. I think we can all agree on that. But it's the Kings. And if the Kings are holding any team under 100 points, that's pretty impressive for them. This was actually the least amount of points that the Kings have scored in a win so far this season at 101. They barely got over that 100 mark. And I really thought that they did a good job uh, for the most part of clogging the lane and then rotating out to shooters and just kind of having... This constant rotations because their closeouts are never great. But I think when you take away that first drive against a team that doesn't have a primary playmaker, like that's the most important thing to me because no one on that Nets team is super proficient at setting up their teammates. And so if you take away that first uh, action, then somebody else has to create and nobody on that Nets team is great at it. And, you know, you saw Mikhail Bridges tr- trying to create for himself. You saw Dinwiddie kind of trying to create for others. But there's no one that you can really point to and be like, they're going to go and make the right pass. And so I think that's why it was important for the Kings to not do what they normally do and just allow guys to go straight to the rim. And also, this is a very small Brooklyn Nets team other than Nicholas Claxton. And even he, he's not like a, a, a beefy guy. He's a long, lanky guy. And that's kind of the case for a lot of this Nets team. Mark Jones on the broadcast kept saying that they don't have a, the Nets don't have a long team. I don't really understand that because I'm looking at the lineups. They're pretty long. It's just they're not big. But I was worried about the Kings turning the ball over a lot. 
because of the Nets' length, and I thought the Kings did a good job of not turning the ball over and actually making you know smart passes, not turning it over off the dribble. And while the offense wasn't great, obviously, with only 101 points, I thought that it, it seemed like that had more to do with just settling for threes rather than the Nets actually forcing us into that. And then at the end of this game, the Kings you know, held a lead for a lot of it. And then at the end, had like an eight-point lead. Just They just can't make it easy. They can't just go into the final minute and be able to just run the clock out, right? I mean, I, I just got to talk about this because it's it's happening so much and the Kings get away with it pretty much every time. At some point, you're not going to get away with it, maybe in the playoffs, of just these really dumb plays where it's like you're just just kill time and then get a shot off on the offensive end, right? You're up eight with like a minute and Malik Monk gets a steal and then he just chucks the ball up court to no one. What was he doing? I don't know what he was doing. And luckily, they didn't make us pay. Uh, and then another one was Sabonis inside. Love the offensive rebounding, but just kick the ball out and kill time. But he just kept, he took a dribble, then tried to go up, then took another dribble, tried to throw up another shot, got it stripped. Like, just pass it out and just, I, I find the Kings do this a lot at the end of games. They just don't make the smart play and... This goes for pretty much everyone on the team. Like nobody, no, nobody is immune to this disease. I don't know what it is. Not even De'Aaron Fox. He makes dumb plays too down the stretch when they have leads. It's like when they're behind late in games, they play great. But when they have a lead, they're just like, let's just go chuck the ball up court or let's make this really dumb pass or just force a shot. Like, when all you need to do is really run the 24-second clock down and then chuck up a shot at the end, you don't even need to make it. Just don't turn the ball over. But they always seem to win. So it, it, it hasn't come back to bite them at all. Early in this game, Kevin Herter went down with a mild, what's being called a mild hamstring strain. Um, he just came down awkwardly. Somehow there wasn't a foul. I don't know what that was about. You want to talk about taking away landing space, DeMar DeRozan? Like, how is that not taking away landing space? But anyways, hopefully that's not too serious. And there is optimism that it isn't. Probably why it's being called mild. And so, you know, we don't need him um, down the stretch of the regular season. We just need him for the playoffs. Because other guys stepped up in his absence. Obviously, Malik Monk can just slot in to close games, but Kessler Edwards stepped up huge in this game. In his revenge game against the Nets, he was big, played 24 minutes. And I would like to see him start uh, this next game. Like Going forward without Kevin Herter, I would like to see him start because, um, well, I see two options to start. We're not going to start Malik Monk. Uh, I, I, he's our six man off the bench. Like he's our creator off the bench. We're not going to start him. I think Mike Brown has shown that he won't start him. Monk has that established bench role. So 
Uh, I think it's between Terrence Davis and Kessler Edwards. Terrence Davis started the second half, which, you know, and we've seen before Terrence Davis start, which makes me think that Mike Brown might lean towards uh, Terrence Davis starting over Kessler Edwards. But I would like to see Kessler Edwards because I thought he was great in this game defensively, obviously. And then knocking down shots. He was two for four from three, ended with 10 points. And then on the offensive glass, he was great. He had two offensive rebounds, was close to getting a few more. Like he was just always going for that ball. He was always, he always seemed to be in the right place. And that is huge. And then obviously his defensive acumen, just being able to offer something that no one else on this team has. And I think you could see that uh, very clearly in in one part of the game. And that's with, I think it was like four minutes left uh, to go in this game. And Keegan Murray was on the floor. And I was like, why, why is he on the floor? Or not necessarily why is he on the floor. But he was tasked with guarding Mikkel Bridges. And I just don't understand that. You're setting the guy up for failure. He was by far the worst defender on the court. And you're making him guard the other team's best player. Uh, and he got burned a couple times and then got subbed out for Kessler Edwards. He didn't need to get subbed out. Uh, now, I mean, I was fine with it because Kessler Edwards was playing great. But you could have put Barnes on... Um, Mikhail Bridges, like this was not him getting switched on to him, I don't think. It, it was just, that was the matchup, and I just don't understand that. I don't know if it's the coaching staff trying to, you know, give him like reps of guarding another team's um, best player, you know, or guarding a player that's that talented offensively or what. But in my opinion, you're just kind of setting him up to fail. And not only, well, you're setting him up to fail and you're also hurting his confidence. So I don't really understand that. Because I thought Keegan had a really good game until they did that, right? Like he was knocking down shots, three for six from three. He had 11 points. I thought he was doing a really good job on help defense. Like I think he's a solid off-ball defender. Which is why I said like he could have been in the game late and just put Barnes on Mikel. But because throughout the game I was watching him rotate and and double Claxton when Claxton would get the ball in the paint. Him and Domas would double Claxton and they forced bad shots and turnovers off that so many times. I thought Keegan Murray's help defense was great. He had a block um, coming over to help I think at one point. Or actually... I don't know. He's not credited with a block. I'm pretty sure he blocked a shot. It definitely looked like he did. He got a steal. Maybe they counted it. I don't know. But it seemed like he got a block there. So just up until that point where he had to guard Mikkel Bridges, I think he had a really good game. The guy who I think pretty obviously had the best game for the Kings was DeMontis Sabonis, who has been on an absolute tear uh, recently, he's averaging in the last three games, like 20 points per game, 18 rebounds, 10 assists. He, in this game, went for 24 points, 21 rebounds, seven of them offensive rebounds, five assists, and four blocks. 
he got to the free throw line nine times. The Nets just could not cope with him inside. Because like I said about him going against Brooke Lopez, it's the same thing against Claxton. Yeah, you're a tall, long defender, but you are not strong enough to contend with Sabonis. And Sabonis is way too savvy and is way too good of footwork along with his strength for Claxton to be able to guard him. On the offensive glass, I mean, Sabonis won us this game on the offensive glass, or he put it away on the offensive glass, just getting those rebounds and getting us extra possessions and then able to, um, you know, waste more time off of those possessions. And that's exactly what we needed to do. We had 13 offensive rebounds in this game because the Brooklyn Nets are a small team if they don't have Claxton out there. And even when they do have Claxton out there, we can still get offensive rebounds. With those 21 rebounds, Sabonis has now set the franchise record passing. I think he passed DeMarcus Cousins and Otis Thorpe in this same game for most rebounds in a single season. And he still has how many games left? Like 13 games left? That is insane. Another 20-20 game for him. And then the four blocks, just doing it defensively as well. I thought, like I mentioned before with Keegan, him and Keegan inside was actually like a really good combo of shutting down anybody who was driving to the rim or whenever they would slip the ball into Claxton off the pick and roll. Darren Fox had an off shooting night, but I, I mean, again, he was taking a lot of threes, although I thought the threes that he took in this game were better than the threes he took in the last game. He made less of them. He was two for eight, um, but I, I, he was open for more of them walking into them or catch and shoot. I thought they were better shots. Also, um, his free throw shooting, he got to the line 10 times. Great. Six for 10. Not so great. He's been struggling from the line as of late. Struggled from the field overall in this one. Had, you know, 18, five assists, six rebounds. He had a fine game. I thought he was really good defensively. I mean, I, I can't really point to a single guy and say they were any of them were bad defensively in this game which is not something that I can normally normally say at all. I mean, the only guy who I can maybe say that to is Metu, who got blown by once. But that was only once. But I can just kind of say that because he didn't play that much. So that one play was like actually a large amount of the defensive possessions that he played. But he didn't play that much because, uh, well, I mean, Sabonis played 39 minutes, but also... Uh, because the Nets are smaller, so we don't really need uh, a center in there. Harrison Barnes was solid. I mean, he did get blown by once really badly. But other than that, he was fine defensively. Uh, and he was just getting to the line. He's. He, I feel like he hasn't been very efficient from the field lately. But he always gets to the line. So that is kind of why it's like a little deceiving his field goal percentage numbers. Because... If guys would stop fouling him, then his field goal percentage would go up. But he was two for six, one for three from three. Still kind of waiting for him to have a good three-point shooting game. It feels like every game he's hitting a couple, but he hasn't had like a, a really knockdown game for a while, I feel like. One thing that I thought was weird relating to Barnes was late in the game. Uh, this isn't new, but late in the game, we were just going to him at the free throw line. And we, we did it like two possessions in a row. We did it like three possessions in a row. Was that last game or two games ago? Something like that. Um, 
And, you know, it worked one time. He he drew a foul, got to the free throw line. And then the other time, the offense just stalled. I just don't love that play late in a game. Maybe you do it once if he has a mismatch. And I think that's why they were doing it, because they felt he had a mismatch. It was against Spencer Dinwiddie. But that's not a big enough mis- mismatch, in my opinion. Spencer Dinwiddie's a big, long guard. Um, smaller than Barnes, but not enough, in my opinion. And when you have Fox and Sabonis and Monk out there to run pick and rolls and and run that lethal offense with each other, I just don't know why your answer is to go to Barnes in that position and just ISO him. I think I just don't think that's a great play. Like I said, maybe once you go to it, especially if he has a mismatch, he can get to the line. But I don't think you just keep going to it over and over again. It was nice to have Trey Lyles back in this game. He, you know, two for three from three, four for six from the field. Just an overall solid Lyles game again. There was a lineup with him, Keegan, and Kessler all out there together. And I thought that was really solid because that is a big lineup with a lot of length, but guys who can move their feet you know, I know I've gotten on Keegan about not being able to move his feet that well, but Kessler and, and Trey can. And I think when you have all their length, you're not going to get exposed as much, even if one guy can get beat off the dribble. So I liked that lineup uh, and guys being able to switch, which is good against Brooklyn, because if you're just switching everything, then that means someone has to truly beat you off the dribble or beat you in a pick and roll, which means they have to play make. And Brooklyn doesn't really have a playmaker, so I thought that switching everything was smart. Emily Monk had a solid game. He didn't shoot it great. 3 for 8 from 3, 3 for 11 from the field. But he had 6 assists, a bunch just pick and roll with Sabonis, slotted in there, one late in the game. That was big to kind of put it away. And I mean, him, him and Sabonis pick and roll, that is just lethal. They really have developed a very good pick and roll game together. And Monk was just solid in this game. Late in games, I am confident when the ball is in Monk's hands. Now, every once in a while, like I mentioned, he'll just throw a dumb pass. But I think when he has it and he's working that pick and roll with Sabonis, more times than not, something good's going to happen. You know, you had the one play where he went under the rim and turned it over. But I think usually it, it results in a good shot. Like I mentioned, Terrence Davis got minutes in this game. He started the second half, only played nine minutes, and just looked um, looked like he hadn't played in a bit, looked rusty. He had a run of games uh, a little earlier in the season. Lately, he hasn't been. He's been getting spot minutes here and there. But I think it's pretty clear that Kessler Edwards is the better choice at this point. And, I mean, that's what I was talking about earlier in the season with Terrence Davis. Like, his role needs to be 3 and D guy, right? But the problem is, he's just not a good enough... Like, other guys can fill that role better. And we found a guy who can fill that role better in Kessler Edwards. Now we might see Terrence Davis continue to get minutes. And he's not a bad player. But with Kevin Herter out, we might see him more. And that might be okay for him because that means he can slot into that 
two-guard spot, and then him and Kessler Edwards could even play together, right? Like, he's not taking up that backup three role anymore. He'll take up, you know, more of the shooting guard minutes, which suits his game better. So maybe he can get into a flow off of that. And with Herder out, you never know, we might see some some more P.J. Dozier minutes. We'll have to see what they do with the rotations with Herder out. And the last thing I want to mention is just Sabonis and Fox. They, I feel like they just keep, like, they're making it so hard for me to decide who the best player on this team is. They're making it so hard because they're just back and forth. Like, Sabonis had a long stretch at the start of the season where he's the best. Then Fox picked it up. Now Sabonis is going off again. Now they're and they're both going off in the same games at times. Like, I mean, I guess we don't need to see who the best player is. They're just one A, one B. On some nights, Fox is one A. Some nights he's one B. And you know, obviously, when it comes down to it, it's going to be Fox who's taking the shots. So that probably makes him one A more often than not. But it's just so awesome to see these two guys working together so so well and both playing so so well also for some reason the kings are really good um on the second half of back-to-backs i think they're seven and five now and five five of those wins uh were when the other team had more rest that's just really odd but uh this next game they are going into washington to play the wizards they played the wizards well, the last time they played the Wizards, it was when the Wizards were on the second half of a back-to-back, and it came within a stretch of games where the Kings lost to a few bad teams who were on the second nights of back-to-backs. And hopefully we can get our revenge in this one. I don't really remember that game too well and what happened, because it was a while ago, but I remember that was one of the more frustrating games this season because it, it was one where we came into it really feeling like we should easily win this game because it was at home, Wizards on a back-to-back. But the Wizards, I feel like they're in a... I mean, I feel like they are. They are in a similar situation to the Bulls. They're fighting for their lives in that Eastern Conference play-in picture. Um, I think... I mean, we're kind of playing three similar teams in a row in Chicago, Brooklyn, and Washington. Brooklyn, obviously, is in a safer spot because they had Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving earlier this season to get their record, you know, a boosted a bit. But I feel like they're all similar teams. We've taken care of the first two. Just take care of business in this one. The Wizards are not a deep team, uh, and so I hope to see our bench dominate based off that the only guy who I really like off their bench is DeLon Wright wish we didn't trade him I mean they have Corey Kispert Danny Avdia but they're just they're not deep uh, they start two big guys in Kristaps Porzingis and Gafford and then they have Kuzma so that's three pretty big guys in their starting lineup their backcourt is smaller in Monte Morris and Bradley Beal. So maybe we can take advantage of their um, smaller backcourt. But we we need to take care of business on the glass. Everyone needs to contribute because what Washington seems to do, they start with double big and then a lot of times they'll just um, sub one of them out and then they'll never play together again. 
So you'll have your Porzingis center minutes, your Gafford center minutes after that initial stretch of them playing together. And then it's more Kuzma at the four. I think when Porzingis is at the five, we're going to really have to worry about getting out to him, stopping him from shooting threes. I mean, you kind of saw what happened with Vucevic in the Chicago game. He got a lot of open looks from three. Porzingis is a better shooter. I actually don't know if that's true by the percentages. I'm just assuming it is because it seems like he's a better shooter. Vucevic went 0 for 7 from 3 in that game. And I don't think that Porzingis will do the same if you give him the same open looks. So obviously you have to not play the same way. You have to get out to him. Sabonis has to get out to him. If it's Keegan, he has to get out to him. Metu has to get out to him. I'm just always terrified of those stretch fives just pick and popping us to death. Anyways, that is it for this episode of the Royal Report. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. If you're listening to the audio version of the podcast, make sure to leave a rating and review. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore the Royal Report, and I will see you guys next time to recap the game against the Wizards. Peace.